Thanksgiving is what I'm doing this series on these next four weeks, uh, or thanks, as we had it, text message there on those series cards and uh, on, on the slides and so forth. Because, you know, the truth is this, we, we need, I need to talk about thankfulness, thanksgiving, more than just thanksgiving. And the Bible talks about it all the time. And I, I want to just set this series up a little bit and, and, and tell you what, why I'm doing what I'm doing today on this, on this whole thing. Um, Eckhart, the, uh, middle, the, middle age, the Middle Ages philosopher and, and theologian, they called him Meister because that was German for master. His real name was uh, Johannes. He, he said this, and you'll see this in the series card. Uh, if, if the only prayer you said in your whole life was thank you, that would suffice. And whether that's necessarily totally true, and I, I'd like the spirit of that. Because certainly, there needs to be a lot of thankfulness spoken to God and uh, because of just of the way life is. So here's where, here's where I'm coming from. I want you to see this and kind of just track with me a minute as I just set up this, this, this four-week series. We have a choice every day. Either I'm going to live in a thankful manner, embracing life with all of its blessings, with all of its burdens, with all of its bombs, the blow-ups, so forth that happens. Or I'm going to embrace that, with its, or I'm going to crawl through life weighted down, cranky, you know, complaining, feeling like I, like I deserve more, being generally miserable and, and for some reason always sharing, you know, that's the way those kind of people are, always sharing that misery with others. It's amazing how that works. You know, it's not enough for them to be miserable. They seem like they want to always share it. You know, thank you for sharing with me. I didn't need that. So, so that's, that's part of that. That's why we're talking about this whole thing. And I want to begin with, with saying, being thankful for this thing that, that we're seeing here, regrets. Being thankful for regrets. See, what does that mean? Does that mean like, well, I mean, is that like those words? Have you heard these words before? Regrets. I've had a few. But then again... Too few to mention. <laughs> I did what I had to do and saw it through. Okay, you got, you got the idea? I didn't sing it. Give me a break. Yeah, guys in a movie, you know, tell the preacher what to do in church. Uh, anyway, um, you know, you, you listen to the first regrets I've had a few, but again, then again, too few to mention. What's he smoking? He's only had a few regrets? And, and, we, and, we're, and we're, in, we're in this world, and it seems as though in life these days... There are a lot of people, well, I've got no regrets. And I'm like, well, I do a lot. You know, so what we've done, I know, maybe they've redefined it. Maybe they've tried to say, well, this, you know, if I change the words, that song would be regrets. I got a lot, way too many to mention. You know, that's kind of how I would do it. And I think that's the, 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 the more, I think, if you want to say biblical attitude or whatever. So I want to talk about those regrets. And again, I don't mean regrets. Oh, I wish I had, I wish I had gone to Goldman instead of Merrill Lynch. Or I wish I had, you know, I wish I had chosen to go play in the NBA instead of being a minister. I don't mean those kind of regrets. Did you pick up on that? Yeah. Um, didn't really have the choice, did I? Um, can't dunk a basketball. Um, I don't mean those kind of regrets. I'm talking, I'm going to use the term, and maybe it's not going to be too palatable for you, but hold, hang on here with me. It's sinful regrets. Regrets where because of my failures or someone else's, it has affected me in a traumatic way or others. 
in a traumatic way. I'm talking about those kind of regrets. Now, I'm going to show you a pretty nasty, a pretty big deal one here with, 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 with David, uh, King David. And I'm going to show you that. But it, I, don't want you, I don't want you to get caught up in that and say, well, I would never do something like that. Because I don't care whether we're talking about murder or, 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 or some other kind of uh, horrible sin, adultery, whatever, or whether we're talking about gossip. And we need to understand that sometimes those sinful regrets can be a lot of different failures on my part or someone close to me and, that has it, and how it's affected them. So let's, let's talk about that. And, and here's the thing I want you to think about. You know, either, either, one, either one denies his regrets or he's overwhelmed by them or experiences the blessing that can come through redemptive living. And I'm going to talk about that redemptive living. I like that term. It's kind of weird, I know, but I like that term. And we can be thankful for our sinful regrets because of all that, had, all that it's led me to, to where I am now, okay? And so, and so I want you just to kind of think along those lines. And you know, let me just say one other, one other thing. If I'm in a continuum of not liking me and who I am and my life and so forth, continually overwhelmed and concerned about my regrets and my wrong choices and what others have made around me, it probably shows, if, I'm, if I continue like it, it probably shows I'm not a very grateful person. So let me stop right here in the beginning and take a pause and get you to think about that. What would people, what do people, primary, you know, close friends, secondary friends, tertiary, what do people, what would people say about you? Is he or she a grateful person? Or, you know, they, they're kind of entitled. They kind of whine a lot, which is one great sign of not being very grateful. Just think about that. What would, what would people say about me? All right, so here we go. Let's talk about King David. I want to jump into this. I've, re- I've referred to David many times two weeks ago, most recently, when we uh, did the Bohemian Rhapsody thing, and I talked about all his list of sins. I'm going to show you some of those now from Second Samuel. Um, David is, this, we're going to take you to this chapter in his life, of which we're going to see he had tremendous, tremendous regrets. It was a sin, it's, and it's sinful regrets, tremendous regrets about this. Uh, and, and you're going to see what he did, and you're going to see how it all came down and, 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 and everything else. So just, just hold on here with me, and let's, let's take a look at this. We're in Second Kings, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter 11, just follow along. Late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap, went for a stroll on the roof of the palace. As he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Here we go. Say, what in the heck is going on? Woman taking a bath, middle of the day on top of a roof. What's that all about? We're going to talk about that. Uh, he, number three, he sent, he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. That's significant. We'll come back to that. Then David sent for her. And when she came to, to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Sorry, folks, it's all here in the Bible. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent a message to inform David. All right, what's happening here? What is all this about here? First of all, a couple things going on. David, there's questions by some scholars whether he should even have been there. Because the, the army, he's, the, he's also, he's like, like our president. He's the commander-in-chief. He was... They were out in, in, in the battle. You're going to see that in just a moment. So what was he doing at home? How come he wasn't doing a little better job watching over the troops? Number one. And in those days, the kings did that. Number two, the whole thing with Bathsheba, what's that all about? Now, and you need to understand this, that most scholars believe that 
she probably knew what she was doing. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, I don't know, my wife and I have this thing. We've kind of perfected it over the years, really. And, and it's like when you're walking somewhere and you see a woman. I'll just, let me just talk to the guys a minute, okay? Women, you can't listen. We'll just pretend you're not here. You know, guys, you're walking somewhere and, and, and you know, you see some woman who's dressed provocatively, you know? You know, something really low or tight or, or whatever. And I have, I have this permanent indentation right here in my rib of getting the, don't look, don't look, don't look. And I'm like, well, she just wants you to look. And I'm like, well, now how do you know? Well, she wouldn't dress that way if she didn't want you to look. So we have this thing going on. And I'm like, really? You think? You think she really, you know, anyway, that's kind of what's going on here. Okay, women, you can check back in now. Okay, Um, that's kind of what's going on now. That's what's, I mean, Bathsheba, she's got it going on. I mean, she's, you know, she's a hottie uh, and, and she knows it. And she's kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, strutting her stuff, so to speak. And, and she's kind of the old, you know, just an Old Testament hottie and, and she knows it. And, and most likely enticing David, that doesn't excuse him. Let me say that very quickly. That doesn't excuse him. But this isn't like... Don't victimize Bathsheba. Now, the other thing I want you to notice about that, you notice where it says the wife of Uriah the Hittite there? There in verse, um, whatever, it's verse three, I think, four. Uh, no, verse three, that's part of it. Uriah the Hittite, who's he? That's her husband. Well, what's, that, what's significant about that? Uriah the Hittite, there was, this, there was a small group of guys that were with David from the very beginning, and they were called David's mighty men. Maybe you've ever heard Bible stories about David's mighty men. He was one of those guys. And they're like 20, 25 of them. We're talking inner circle kind of guy. Cabinet level type position, if we were to put that in modern day uh, terminology. So this is, this is a good man. He's been with David for a long time. And this is his wife. You get the picture, right? I mean, does it make it any worse? I don't know if you can make that argument, but it certainly changes the context a whole lot, doesn't it? So that's what's happening here. So here's, here's, David's got to, he, he, watch what happens. David's got to go in this whole thing of covering up and covering up his, 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 his sin. He's going to try to, he's going to deceive. He's going to, well, watch what he does. So verse six, so David sent word to Joab. He's the general. Send me Uriah the Hittite. When Uriah arrived, and this is, this is pretty, this is pretty deceptive right here. David asked him, how's the, how's Joab? How's the general in the army? Uh, are they getting along? How are the wars, how's the war progressing? And then he told Uriah, go home and relax. David sent him a gift, sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. I mean, you know, it's a little, he, he's bringing him home for one reason. He's not, he's not talking about the war and what's going on with the army and so forth. Watch this. This is amazing to me. I mean, I, this just always amazes me. It really does. Verse 9, Uriah wouldn't go home. He stayed the night at the palace entrance with some of the king's other servants. I want men like this in my life. Watch what, look, watch what he says. When David heard, verse 10, that Uriah had done, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter with you? Maybe something like that. Um, Why didn't you go home last night after being away so long? Uriah replied, the ark, which represents the presence of God, and the armies of Israel and Judah, the country, are living in tents. And Joab, general, and his officers are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I will never be guilty of acting like that. This is a good man. This is a good man. He's loyal. He said, man, 
my, my brother troops are out there. I need to get back to them. I don't need to be sitting here. I mean, this, you say, well, I'm, you know, I don't know that I would have, would have agreed with that. But it just shows you the kind of character this guy had. Um, well, next verse. Well, well, stay here tonight, David told him. And tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then he, wouldn't get, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace entrance. So, I mean, you know, this is not going well here for David. He's got Uriah's wife pregnant. People are going to start finding out. Stuff's going on. Verse 14, so the next morning David wrote a letter to Joab. The general gave it to Uriah to deliver. The, well, this, is, this is just awful. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting, and Uriah was killed along with several other Israeli, Israelite soldiers. He pulled back and, and left him. He left him to be killed. That's pretty serious stuff. It's not just Uriah. There are a bunch of others. That's where the mass murder comes in. Verse 26, when Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of, the wi- one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was very displeased with what David had done. That's a pretty sad chapter. You can, you can honestly say that this is one of David's huge sinful regrets. And I want to I address that. People find out, okay? People find this stuff out. I mean, it's just, you know, the media, it's all over the papers. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody knew that what, what had happened with David and, and Bathsheba, and everybody's talking, oh, you're what David, you're what King David did, you know? And, you, you know, all this stuff is going on. And so there's a guy named Nathan. Nathan is what I call the palace pastor. Um, really, he's an Old Testament prophet, but I like calling him the palace pastor because he's, he's also a pastor to David and, and others. And uh, so, Na- so Nathan finds out, and in a matter of months, he confronts David. Well, I want you to hear David's response because here's Nathan, here's, the, here's the, the, the minister, the pastor, the Old Testament prophet, and he comes and he says, David, this is what's going on. You're the man. And you know what do you think David, how do you think David responded to that? Let me show you, let me show you what his response was. Just, I did not have sex with that. No, they didn't say that. <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry. Uh, she just got it. Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, um, he, he had one, one, one statement. Listen to what he said. I have sinned against God. That's all he said. And then he sat down and he wrote a whole confessional sin, which we're going to go through in just a second. The thing that's amazing to me, and maybe it's one of the reasons that God said this was a man after my own heart, is because he didn't try one whit of self-justification. He didn't say, God, you should have seen the woman, man. You know, he really came on to me, you know. He didn't say, well, you know, it, I had one too many and I, he, he didn't, none of that. Not one bit of self-justification. It was all about, God, I've sinned. Boom. You got to love that. People can do a lot of things, but uh, that's, that's, what, you know, that's what God is so honored by. When we just come to him and say, God... I've sinned. No, and, and now we're going to go through this. Let me, let me make three points real quick. Three bullet things I want you to see. And then I want to go into this, this psalm that he wrote, prayer that he wrote 
of confession. I've read parts of it before. We're going to go through it very quickly. First, when we, we, so we talk about the blessing of regrets or the blessing of sinful regrets, however you want to say that. And let me just show you. You're going to see this in this, in this, in this prayer that David, that David writes. Sinful regrets put us in a place to better respond to God. That's one of the blessings. Sinful regrets remind us of our utter helplessness to please God. You can't do anything to make yourself acceptable to God. That's why Jesus came, to die for your sins and my sins and and to to be raised on the third day to give us life, new life. And sinful regrets help us to reassess what's important. And you're going to see all three of those things in David's life. All right, so let's, what, here's his prayer. He says, I've sinned, Nathan, I've sinned. Um, and now he writes, and, and this is a prayer. And, you know, Martin Luther used to pray a different psalm every day, uh, his, his uh, writings tell us. I don't know if you ever tried praying a, a psalm, but it's kind of cool. You, you, this really reflects what I think right now. And this is a great psalm to do that if you're particularly looking for a good psalm of confession, whether it's something, something horrible in the world's eyes or something that only you know, but it's still horrible. Um, it doesn't matter. It's still something you need to confess to God. Watch what he says. Psalm 51. This is in the message translation. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You ever felt that way? You just felt like, you know, you close, you'd think of something you did and you said something or, or did something you shouldn't have done and you, and you just, oh, I can't get that out of my mind. That's what, he's, that's what he's experiencing. You're the one I violated and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time. It's the wrong, it's in the wrong since before I was born. He's, you know, I was born a sinner is basically what he's saying. Um, when, when you're after, what, you're, what you're after is truth. Watch this, watch this. From the inside out, enter me, then conceive a new true life. You know, one of the, mis, uh, one of the misunderstandings often about Old Testament versus New Testament is sometimes people think, well, they had all that sacrificing going on and all that other kind of stuff, which they did, but then people think that's how those people received acceptance from God by doing all that stuff. Listen, whether you're talking Old Testament, whether you're talking New Testament, it's all about the heart. It's all inside. That's why he says, you know, you're after, what you're after is truth from the inside out. You know, the only difference is they were looking forward to the Messiah, we're looking backwards to when the Messiah has already come and still lives, lives here, as in Jesus. That's the only difference. And, and, and that's, that's what he's talking about there. He says, God, do a work inside of me. Keep going. Soak me in your laundry. This is so descriptive. I'll come out clean, scrub me, and I'll have a snow-white life. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health, oh God. Make, make a fresh start in me. Watch this. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Genesis, the beginnings, book of beginnings. He's saying, he's saying shape, a, shape a new beginning from the chaos of, of what I've done. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Don't give me a job teaching, excuse me, give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence. 
God, my salvation, God, and I'll sing anthems to your, to your loving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God. I'll let loose with your praise. Um, it, was, it was in the Levitical law, if you committed adultery, that both that, those people caught in adultery would be stoned. So he's always saying, commute my, de- he's saying, commute my death sentence. Now, do I think they would have done that to the king? I, probably not. Because you have the power, oftentimes you can get away with some things. But that's what he's talking about there. And then verse 16, go through the, he said, going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart shattered lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. That's pretty heavy stuff right there. Just a heart of confession. Just a heart of God I've sinned against you. I mean, when you capture this, this, the heart of this man and, and what, what's going on, I mean, it's just amazing. And I, granted, he's done some pretty bad things. And some of the things that you do or that I do may not, at least in the eyes of society, be this bad. But that doesn't matter. Because if, if, we, if we miss the mark of God, we still miss the mark, whether it be in our, in our talk or whether it be in our attitudes or whether it be in some other way. And that's why this prayer of confession is, is there for all of us. Listen, here's what I want you to see in this. Sinful regrets shout to us the importance of the gospel, the good news, forgiveness that Christ brings into a life. They help us to better understand the forgiveness of Christ. I realize why Christ came, because I need it. And sometimes it takes some particular kind of failure in an individual's life for them to come to grips. You know what? I am, I am pretty broken, but I do need Christ in my life. And here's the thing that, you know, I've had this question all my life in ministry, M- mostly, I won't say totally, mostly from young people, but, but sometimes from, from older people. And they ask, I addressed this a little bit a couple weeks ago when we, when we were, had the Bohemian Rhapsody thing. Um, but I get this question all the time, can I, can I go out and sin as much as I want to sin in any way that I want to sin? And will God forgive me? And the answer to that is yes, he will. Now, I know some of your parents probably don't want me saying that to your kids, but, but he will. Now, you've got to add this part to it. You could really screw things up. You could screw up your life and everybody else's life and cause a lot of dysfunction, a lot of hurt, be living with misery the rest of your life. But in terms of God, his forgiveness is there. Always there. And, and that's, that's when, when, and, and this, that's what happened with David. David, the consequences of what happens... I won't go through all of them, but one is he, he, the, the, baby, the baby dies that was conceived, um, uh, which broke his heart, of course. Um, he has a son that ends up basically raping his half-sister. And, um, and then he has another son who rebels against him and takes the kingdom from him for a little while, Absalom. Um, I mean, all of this was the result of some of the things that the, that the Bible shows us of some of David's, of this particular area of his life. So he had to deal with some crap. I mean, sorry. He had to deal with some stuff because, because of, of what he had done. But in terms of forgiveness, he had forgiveness. Totally, completely. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why I love talking about it. You know, it's just so neat. No, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's so unhuman. The gospel is not, another thing, the gospel is not some big stick we hold over people's head. You better do this, and you better do this, and if you don't, yada, yada, yada. That's not the gospel. 
Sometimes churches do that. Sometimes ministers do that. That's not God and that's not the Bible. Yeah, there are consequences to your actions. We know that. The Bible says that. Life tells us that. But the, the gospel is not some big stick that we hold over people's head. You better do this. And, 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 you know, the other thing, we can be thankful for sinful regrets because they lead us to a better understanding of myself and of God and his love and his forgiveness. You know, part of this whole thing, when he talks about going through the motions doesn't please you, you know, the whole thing of, I don't want to be unkind, but almost superstitious thing of, well, you go over here in the corner and you say something so many times and, and God's going to forgive you. Well, I mean, what's that? Think about that. Really. Is that what God wants? I don't mean to be critical, but that's crazy. That's not really help. And I have friends smarter than me who still think that. And I'm like, you know, gosh, come on, think about it. Think, think, think. God wants your heart, wants your body, wants your soul, wants your mind, wants wants you to live wholeheartedly for him. Not just repeat some thing or go through motions or whatever it is, you, you, you know, th- those kind of things. And, and you know, we're, we can be thankful for those sinful regrets of life because they lead us to a better understanding of who we are, who God is, and the incredible forgiveness that he provides for us. All right, I got, a, I got, a, I got one last thing I want to show you, all right? And, um, and we got something else we're going to do for you real quick. But, but um, this is a quote that I used a couple of weeks ago. And nobody responds. And every now and then I get a response to my quotes, and I like that. But I don't, when I don't get a response to my quotes, I, I, I don't like that, okay? And this is, I didn't get any response to this. And I'm like, did it go on everybody's spam filter? Did they miss this? This is a great quote. I mean, granted, is a Princeton guy and, and all the other kind of stuff, but he's from like 1700s and 1800s, and, and his, Archibald Alexander is his name. And uh, it just sort of says everything. I just love the way this says. It's worded in a, in a different way because it said, he stated this in the early 1800s, but, um, and I wouldn't say things quite the way he does now, but it's just so good. And I think it sums up this whole thing of what I'm talking about right here, all right? So here you go. You ready for this? Archibald Alexander, theologian, professor of Princeton Theological Seminary, uh, early 1800s. No one was ever saved because his sins were small. No one was ever rejected on account of the greatness of his sins. Where sin abounded, grace shall much more abound. I just love that. That's just so true. I mean, that's just, that's almost biblical. It certainly reflects biblical truth. No one's ever, (laughs) no one ever is saved because his sins were small. No one's ever rejected on account of the greatness of his sins. Where sin abounded, grace shall much more abound. That's why Jesus came. That's what it means to have a relationship with God, to trust Christ and say, yeah, like David did. I need you to come inside and, and, and do an inside-out kind of work. May God give us the ability and, and, and the openness and the truthfulness to be able to confess whatever our sins might be, big or little in the eyes of society. May God give us the heart to be able to confess our sins that way as we come to him. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that when we mess it up and we have these sinful regrets in our lives, that you want to use that in a way to make us better people. Amazing, God. I'm amazed by that. 
every time. But you do, and we are so thankful. Not for the fact that we do wrong things or say wrong things, but that even though we do, you not only forgive us, but you can use it in a way that's going to be a blessing for us, that gives us a better understanding of who you are, gives us a better understanding of who we are, gives us a better understanding of your, of your grace and forgiveness. We are so thankful for that. And we thank you for Jesus who makes that possible. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.